2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Sklina. And I'm your other host, Matt Sklina. And Matt, let's just quickly, before we get to this week's episode, talk about last week's episode. You mean the banger? Yeah, which which our good friend and owner of Real Estate Brokerage here in Vancouver called a banger of an episode. Right, uh, look it up. We both had to look it up. Urban Dictionary. Yeah, uh, turns out it was uh, it was a serious banger, and <laughs> uh, it got a it got a a, a huge response. From a huge our response. Audience.
1: It struck a nerve. Uh, you know what? I think, uh, like we said before, we released it. Anne McMullen and Robert McDonald together, dynamic duo. Uh, I think, if I had to guess, it was Robert McDonald's kind of shooting from the hip, oh, uh, yeah. tell it like it is, kind of persona that really struck people.
2: Struck, yeah. Struck yeah. a nerve for sure because yeah. we had an overwhelming response. We got a lot of emails. We got a lot of comments on the website and we really appreciate everybody reaching out and uh, yeah, what a thought-provoking episode anyway.
1: It, it was and, and if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that episode yet, I would say uh, it's definitely worth going back and listening to. But
2: let's not overshadow our, our guest today, Mark Ting. He's a past guest and a uh, friend of the show.
1: That's for sure. Fan favorite.
2: Yeah. And uh, so Mark is actually, he's pri- He's a partner and he's a private wealth manager of Foundation Wealth, but he's also a CBC weekly financial columnist
1: for On the Coast. That's right. He writes uh, for the CBC, I believe, as well. Uh, you hear him-, him on the radio, though, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's. A, I think he's on the Drive Home show. Him and GM. At it again, Gloria Makarenko. Yeah, yeah. I actually think I, this makes me think of uh, one of our earliest episodes when we went through all the CBC shows. Remember that? We, we would just, never do that anymore. That seems like such a. I might. We were so loose back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> yeah, we we really tightened this up. Um, <laughs> well, 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 let me let me say something sure. about Mark. Mark was on the show uh, talking about real estate and personal finances. Right, maybe what six months a year ago i'm not sure exactly when but mark himself is a really big real estate investor he loves real estate and he's walking out and he's like oh i got to tell you about this real estate deal i got going let's just put it this way this deal involves bags of money casinos right state capture uh three-star generals corruption gangsters gangsters
2: and it, so you're thinking it's a house on the west side yeah. <laughs>
1: It turns out it's Cambodia. Yeah, I know. I thought it was a lot closer to home. Yeah, but uh, but but he starts talking about this deal, and we're like, we got to have you back on. He's like, no, we're like, we're in the midst of of the battle right now, and it is a battle. Yeah, it's a battle over this land in Cambodia, and he's come to. To resolve some of this. So we, we we're had getting to have them the back story.
2: On. We're getting the story today. This Cambodia story today. And and we should say we don't know a ton about Cambodia, but we are super excited for we're, uh, we're a real investments. We're eager to learn. You yeah. know,
1: and it's and it's guys like Mark that are always uh, really interesting because, you know, They've they've made a lot of money in real estate, and sure. I love when guys you know kind of take a flyer. Like they'll go out of their comfort zone and and take some risks. and And this is a story about taking some risk in real estate, and uh, and it's a good one. It, it is a fantastic story, and
2: man, after you hear it, you will totally understand why he was so enticed with the with the opportunity. Right? Yeah, no kidding, no uh, kidding, for sure. But Matt, maybe let's just get to it because this is a long episode. It's a great story, and uh, I gotta say. Mark Ting's Holiday in Cambodia. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Mark Ting, friend of the show, partner at Foundation Wealth and uh, personal finance columnist for the CBC's On the Coast with Gloria Makarenko. How you doing, Mark? Doing great. Yeah, thanks for
1: taking the time, Mark, and,
2: and coming back on the show. No problem. So Mark, can you start maybe by telling us a little bit about yourself?
3: Yeah, sure. So I'm the guide to personal finance with CBC. That's how most people know me. Uh, I do quite a lot of uh, radio shows, some TV, as well as web articles. My real job is I'm a partner of Foundation Wealth. And Foundation Wealth is where we're we're big into fintech technology, financial technology. So we use a lot of artificial intelligence to, to build portfolios for clients. I would say our focus Our main type of niche would be family enterprises, family businesses. We have a unique skill set to deal with succession planning. And um, yeah, that's generally what I do, help people plan for their retirement.
2: That's, that's That's complicated, the family business. Especially yeah, actually the succession plan, right? Yeah, we
1: talked about that last time. I think yep. there's uh, – always skips a generation, doesn't it?
3: No, it's, usually it's shirt, shirtless to shirtless in three generations. So one generation builds it, second generation sort of maintains it, and then the third generation blows it. And they, they may, the knows <laughs> Sometimes. But the, the main thing is, yeah, how to make those businesses. There's things you can do to prepare for it, and that's what we, we help out a lot of businesses sort of succeed well beyond the third generation.
1: So we had you back because the, the last time you were on, it was a great episode, but as you were leaving, you mentioned uh, a property that you own in Cambodia, and at that time, it was unresolved, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, and we were talking to you not long ago, and it sounds like kind of a crazy story. So can you tell us a little bit about your investment in Cambodia?
3: Sure. Okay. So I'll give you sort of the background of why I decided to invest in Cambodia, so again, it, it, the principles are the same. It's real estate investing. So you want to go where people are going, where jobs are going, where money is flowing. So in this part of Cambodia, it's called Sihanoukville. And Sihanoukville was basically the, the, the most glamorous, the best beaches, touristy tar- type places. So that's where Cambodia's, Cambodians go to vacation. And one thing that they had was a deep sea port. This deep sea port was recently completed It was built by the Japanese. It was fully automated. It was like state of the art. And all around this deep sea port was underutilized land. And then what? the government decided to do is okay we got this massive port but it's underutilized no one's really bringing too much commerce from it strategically located that's another thing you know singapore's just over there ho chi minh's over there bangkok's over there it's it's a great location again location 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 right so what the government did was they decided to, to have this 100 hectare economic free zone so that means uh, companies and industries anything from around the world could set up shop in this 100 hectares, and it's completely tax-free. So a massive incentive to attract business, track foreign investment. And I was looking around. I, I vacationed there once, and I had some friends there, so I had some connections there. And um, people started talking to me. I was like, oh, man, this, there's an opportunity here. You got this brand-new port, you got this economic free zone, and everything around this land is like jungle, it's, and it's dirt cheap. So a, a group of Cambodians started thinking, okay, let's buy some land. When, when you say
1: dirt cheap, so
3: uh, I understand it's
1: U.S. dollars there, like what, how, how cheap are we talking?
3: 100 hectares was about 200000 U.S. dollars. Wow. So that, that's another benefit. That's a good point. Because one of the biggest problems that you have with investing in these frontier-type economies is the currency risk. So the currencies can collapse any We sure. see that with emerging markets. But one of the main reasons I decided... to that with the Canadian peso. Here yeah. We go. <laughs> we're not doing too bad. But, <laughs> but what you'd really have to worry about that with some of these other countries, like the t- turkeys of the world and whatnot. So one of the main reasons I would thought, okay, I might invest in this type of endeavor was because it was U.S. dollars. I didn't have to worry about that currency risk. So 100 hectares of prime land... Uh, views not on the beach, but views uh, sort of in mountainous areas, but places you can easily build at uh, for two hundred thousand dollars US. So to me, that's dirt cheap. Yeah. Now the problem is there's there's two there's two things about Cambodia. One thing is Cambodia. If you know their history, there is they they had a civil war and it was basically wiped out. The Khmer Rouge came in there, and one of the one of the very unfortunate things is they basically murdered and pillaged and, and killed anybody with any intellect. And one, the other thing is they, they also got rid of what would be our land titles office. So they went into the city halls, burnt all the documents and everything. So there's always a risk in a place like Cambodia because there's something called soft title and hard title. And hard title is much more expensive because hard title is being vetted. We know who owns this land the vast majority of land in Cambodia was soft title, which means we're pretty sure we know who's, who owns this land, but there's always that possibility that somebody can come out and lay claim to it. So my inclination was, I don't want to play with that. I want the hard title. But all all the investors who were looking at doing this project together, they they thought they were Cambodian, they're used to soft title, they're comfortable with it, and they decided to go with soft title.
1: So, so if I understand correctly, if you want hard title, it's just uh, there's a, a diligence that goes into that. And That's right. It, and it's more expensive. But when you actually purchase and you have hard title, there's no way somebody can say, hey, you know, my grandparents farm was here back in 1945 and it's actually my land.
3: Exactly. And then then the soft title is more like seven degrees of separation. You, you can sort of you can link it. But at some point, you know, the Civil War was there and then it was wiped out and then it gets kind of gray, muddy. We don't really know.
2: And, and there were hard title options in this region?
3: Not in that region, but in okay. an, another region that... So I w- first off, I was a minority. I, like, m- the part I put in, the amount of money I put in was relatively small. The, the main people, there, were the principal partners. So ultimately, they made the decision. I gave my input, which was to go with a smaller, more expensive hard title. But they wanted to get the bigger piece of land in the, the hottest type uh, area. I, I deferred to them as well. I was like, what do I know? I'm Canadian, you know? I I, I know I know real estate here. I don't know anything about Cambodia, like besides, you know, they have nice beaches and such. So I was like, okay, you guys know what you're doing. Let's just go with it. So that that was the premise. And it, it totally came true. So what happened was, over the years since we bought it, that 100 hectares, we bought for 200,000, like prices all around there started skyrocketing. And what I mean skyrocketing, like, tripling, quadrupling on a monthly basis because loads of money was coming in here, which is good and bad. So that caused me to kind of panic and have pause because anything that goes up too fast, that's that's too bubblish. And it drew a lot of attention to the land. Well, yeah,
1: the attention would be a big fear in the soft title situation, right? You don't want too much attention.
3: Exactly. And because the more valuable the land is, the more likelihood someone will lay claim to it. Right. So the way you stop people from laying claim to it is you have to use the land. So um, ultimately what happened is we tried to make land. We came up with all these these plans like we were going to we we're going to bring in like a a ton of goats and have goat farmers in there to clear the land and do coconut trees and all that stuff. So we started doing all that and then then there was then we started seeing problems. Uh, people started coming out of the woodwork and started destroying our our we had like huts for the goats and things like that they started ripping those down and we started getting worried and and is this so
1: so just to to back up a little bit you bought this like how many years are we talking like when did this when did the purchase happen and and
3: uh probably around three years ago okay yeah it it happened so it's a pretty quick
1: quick, this this whole process has happened pretty quick
3: yeah so the process is relatively quick and then then um then the, the main partners who invested most of the money, they started kind of panicking. So now you gotta go back. This is this is the difference between, you know, Vancouver real estate and somewhere like Cambodia. So we learned pretty quick that you had to align yourself politically or with the or with the army. You had to have a big backer, otherwise you're gonna be bullied off of your land. No one cared when it was worth nothing, but now it's worth literally millions of dollars. So ultimately, the decision was made. It's like, okay, what's, who's the biggest, baddest guy that could protect us? And a deal was made where we gave up half our land to uh, a three-star general. And the three-star general, because we were getting pushed around, people were knocking down our little huts and stuff, three-star general started posting guards and all this other stuff. So we thought we were good.
1: And, and, and when you say half the land, so at that stage, what, what do you think that half of that land is worth? Like, just in terms of of how much you're giving away for the protection?
3: It. I didn't even have a valuation on yeah. it. It was just, just no appraisal yeah. thing. It was worth a lot.
1: But a lot more than $100,000. A
3: lot more than $100,000. But essentially, we thought we were good because we had a three-star general. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good ace in your, yeah. in your hand, right? But we were wrong. <laughs> 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 I, got a, I got a phone call that apparently the, the person who's laying claim to the land, they got a, a fairly high-end politician on their side, and they were like, "Okay, we're we're going to court. We're going to fight this out." And then, you know, to make this sh- long story a little bit shorter, uh, about two weeks later, I get a phone call, and it's like, "Oh yeah, guess what? Our three-star general's been thrown in jail." What? Yeah.
2: By a four-star general.
3: <laughs> no, by the, by the politician. <laughs> oh, man. They they enacted some anti-corruption thing, and then this, they were put. He was thrown into jail, and then ultimately, he was forced to say he was corrupted it and, and go and basically go away. So in terms of the story, so in terms of why we did this. So I sort of told you all the positives. What right. could have happened in all the great. But
1: stuff. but we we j- just so I understand. So so you you get a three-star general, he starts posting guards, you feel like okay, we got this on lock. Yep. Uh, we've given only half the land, but the land is is now secured. Yeah. He gets arrested. Yes. His guards go away. Yeah. Uh, he basically reneges any right to the land and basically has the no ability to protect your land. Mm -hmm. And then do do they actually go to court or do they just lay claim to the land? Like does the the person that is is laying claim to your land, do do they now have possession of the land?
3: What would you do? Like, (laughs) You have a three-star general, you're a big yeah. backup, you're, you're a badass bodyguard. You got basically Thanos on your side. Yeah. <laughs> and Thanos gets sent to jail. Yeah. What would you do? Would you go to court to fight them? Honestly. Not,
1: no, not in Cambodia, I don't think, because it sounds like power is uh, is more important than anything yeah. else, sounds right? Sounds like a lot of
3: wasted
2: time and money. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah.
3: We, we were like, <laughs> like, again, I didn't invest a ton of money, but I was like, I'm not going to be dealing with all this right. stuff.
1: But, but you, so you've, you've walked away.
3: I've walked away. Yeah. And what we're doing is we're going to court, but we're going after the person who sold us the land because ultimately this pe- person won. We'll say they won. Yeah, they yeah. got the land. So the person who sold us the land shouldn't have sold it to us in the first place because it was never for them to sell us. So I think we're going to actually get most of our money back. Oh, wow. So we're not going to lose everything. We're, we're going to lose some, but we're not yeah. going to lose everything. We'll probably get about 85% back.
2: Was the was the three star general one of the original investors no. or how do you how do you find a three star general? I'm uh, sure you didn't yeah, find him. Wasn't me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I put a ad up on Craigslist and yeah. he was the first person to reply. Now yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea. It's like the local guys. You, you have to be connected in yeah. a place like that. You have to know. I'm just people.
2: picturing him walking down a dusty road and outside
1: of Hope, BC. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so. Maybe
1: before, just to, just to back up a bit, because I feel like there's a, there's a lot to this story. So, you've, it sounds like you've vacationed in Cambodia. Yeah. Uh, taking a holiday in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Like, how did you, how do you have, did you just have friends there? Do you know them? Like, how did that, is it, is that how you came across the opportunity? And then, and then how did you kind of assess it? Uh, just at the early stages, because we obviously have a lot of people that are, are looking at investment opportunities here and elsewhere, mm-hmm. primarily in North America, I think. But yep. but it, I'd be curious to kind of hear those early stages of, of finding the opportunity um, and kind of assessing uh, the potential and the risk, and, and you know how you kind of navigated that that different system,
3: right? Yeah. So the first time I went to Cambodia was on vacation. And every time I'm on vacation, obviously, I have an interest in, in their economy and real estate and everything. And the, I, had, I did make some connections there. I had a, I knew some people that lived there. I made friends with them and they showed me around. And the way it works in Cambodia is, again, it's who you know. So there's very, very wealthy people. People will spend have no problem spending $400,000 on a Range Rover. And then there's lots of really poor people. And it's sort of a nouveau nouveau riche type of an attitude. So a lot of people are just throwing money around like crazy. And you got to be really careful about it. So I I started hearing about land. And the way a lot of people acquire land, it's actually quite sad. So what they do is a lot of the, the local Cambodians are quite naive about land. So the person we bought the land off of, how she acquired like tons and tons of land was through lending money. So what would happen is these farmers would need some money. There's no banking system really there. They would need some money because they have to wait for their crops to come through. And then they would borrow money from somebody. They would put up their land as collateral. The the interest rate was exorbitant. It was like 30, 40, 50 percent, literally. Right. And then they would default and then they would, that person would, not take all their land, but a slice of their land. But sure. if you do that enough and enough, then you gather a lot of land. Yeah. And what they also did was gambling was a big issue in Cambodia. So they get these farmers addicted to gambling and then it just goes on from there. And that's, that's basically the, the, the circle of life there. And that's how a lot of people grab their land so there is an education thing out there trying to stop that people originally originally when they approached me they asked me well, "Are you interested in doing this here give us you know some money and we'll lend it out and we'll get you a whole bunch of land and obviously I, i'm not at all interested in stealing yeah. farmers land <laughs> yeah, like yeah, i yeah. was like absolutely not so then um i once they knew it was clear i wasn't going to do something like that and i sort of steered away from that group but then another group kind of approached me and says, okay, I, I liked your attitude about that. You're not here to screw over these local people. You're here to invest and, and do something. And, and I really wasn't. I was just talking. I had no intention of going <laughs> yeah, yeah, there and, yeah. and doing anything. So I, I went home, and then they, they, they called me, and I, I did have a contact here who was a family member over there, and we, we started talking. And I, I trusted this my contact here like 100%. We've done some deals before in the past. And then I thought about it. It's like, you know, let's roll the dice because that's essentially what I'm doing here. I'm going to Vegas and I'm rolling the dice. And uh, the timing was I just sold a whole bunch of apartments in Phoenix. I, I made some money. I paid back everything. And I was like, why don't I just take 10% of my profit? It's not, It's house money. I'm not playing with my own yeah. money. And I can just, I'm, I'm willing to gamble that away and like see what happens. Cause this is literally something that could blow up and do extremely well. And then the whole premise, you know, it's us dollars, the port and everything else we talked about, all those are positives, tons of money was rushing into there. And I was thinking, why not? Yeah. So that, that's sort of how the, the thought I had no intention of doing this. It just happens I would say. So Mark,
2: how did you analyze this deal? Like how did you approach it from, from a position of due diligence?
3: There's really no due diligence. Like I went there and I, I, I visited the land a couple of times and I went there and I tried to put my standards on them. Say, hey, look, we you gotta account for every dollar. Like here's the budget, here's Excel spreadsheets. And they just like laughed at me. It's like, no, this doesn't work here. We we give money, we gotta pay off people, we don't keep track of this stuff.
1: A lot of soft costs.
3: Yeah, a lot of soft costs. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I, I knew I was sort of out of my depth in this. I was like, okay, there's no way my standards would go on to them. So it's literally I have to put faith in almost anything that they do. Also, you know, I'm here. I, I listen to what they say. I don't know what's true or what's yeah. not true. I just thought, okay, you know, let's, let's just roll with it. Uh, I'm not investing a ton of money. So this is the house money. So I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. If it's not in my control, why should I stress about it? So that's sort of it. I mean, how do you do due diligence on partners being thrown in jail and stuff like that? My my idea was just ba- back to the basics. The basics seemed right to me. Just all the money flowing in there. I learned later on that the money flows weren't the best money flows. And again, if you want to talk about yeah, the money we laundering. Should, we,
1: should get, we should get to the money laundering. Be- before we get to to that, though, um, I'm kind of interested because we have a lot of kind of mom and pop investors who listen to the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe have a couple doors or aspiring to have a couple doors. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a partner at a, at a, at a firm that advises people on how to, how to invest in kind of percentages of their portfolio invested in, in certain types of, uh, assets. Assets, Assets. Uh, so, so you said 10% of your, of your winnings house money, you've kind of alluded to a few things. How would you take on these riskier kind of flyers? Is it just with house money? Is that, is that how you'd kind of Take these risks or what would you suggest to people out there listening?
3: Something like this was with house money. Like I would never borrow money, get a mortgage and invest in Cambodia. I think that's like ludicrous because you're going to find out what happens in the end. Right. But uh, some, but sometimes, you know, it, it's fine to take risks. Like that's what we do. We're entrepreneurs. We, we take calculated risks. And this was a calculated risk, which I knew was a high one. So I, I acknowledge that right away. So with my clients, they often like to take risks, too. They might want to buy Beyond Meat. They might want to buy cryptocurrencies, marijuana stocks. That's fine. You know, I own a lot of that stuff myself. But what I do is I separate it. We call it their sandbox. So we take the bulk of their money. We invest it in real assets, real estate, you know, private placements, the stock market, whatever. And that's like the slow and steady stuff you can count on where there's due diligence. There's, you know, protections on the downside. But I have absolutely no problem. I actually encourage people to take a sliver of their money, whatever it is, whatever they're comfortable that they know, if, the, if I lose all this money, my kids are still going to be fed, the mortgage is going to be paid. That's not a problem. I, I actually think it's a great exercise that people do this and invest a little bit on their own. Because A, they'll find out how hard it is. B, they're going to figure out how emotional it is, how hard it is to sell when things are down, when you really should. And then C, they'll, they'll, they'll appreciate sort of what I do. And they'll understand there's a systematic to that. And I also don't want them to commingle it. So like, okay, you buy it for me. And I'm like, no, because your decisions are going to impact my rate of return. So we keep it over here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You keep your rate of return. Exactly.
3: I don't want to commingle it. So, and they could destroy me for a year or two. if, If it's a hot market, right. Marijuana stocks last year or something like that. They can, they're going to be awesome, yeah. but I know they're probably going to buy and sell at the wrong time. And over the long term, it's going to be really volatile. So that's why they got their sandbox. You go play in your little sandbox. You can blow it up and destroy it, and or do really well. I, I'd be happy. I'm like, I hope you do really well. Yeah. But I just want to keep it separate. And knowing that this, because they have this safe side with us, they don't really have to worry about losing too much. And right. my attitude was the same thing. I, you know, it was house money. I, I, I had to win. And I, I, I wanted to put it into something separate. The problem that I see a lot of people have with, let's say it's marijuana stocks. So I'll just use them for example. Let's say they buy a marijuana stocks and it does really, really well. And, they're, and then someone like me says, oh, you should lock in your profit or take your principal back Sure. Just, just, and then play with house money. Yeah. But what they do is they, they take their principal back and they put it into something just as risky. So they buy a marijuana stock, and then they put into cryptocurrency. That's not taking their principal back. Yeah. That's still their, their level, their percentage of high risk is still there. So I like it when something is relatively safe, goes into risky, or something re- relatively risky goes into safe. So in my case, I sold some real estate, some some apartments, cash flowing, easy, uh, predictable real estate, and I took a sliver of that and put into something high risk. The rest, I'm continuing on with the slow and boring, because that's what I think most people should do.
1: Yeah. Good answer so Cambodia is your sandbox
3: it's a beautiful sandbox <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: so we we wanted the
2: there's some connective tissue with Vancouver here that we should maybe talk about mm-hmm. um can you can you talk about like we, obviously in the news there's been a lot on money laundering yeah. in Vancouver and flows of capital coming in and um, international capital so can we talk a little bit about that and how it it relates to the story in Cambodia
3: yeah so one what I found out, and I didn't really know this at the beginning, but what I found out while I was there is Cambodia is attracting a lot of money launderers. So they, they do it for a couple reasons. One was the f- main reason I was there, too, and that was because the currency was U.S. dollars. That's a huge factor. It's something that a lot of people underestimate, but it's, it's a really important factor. So if money launderers can money launder, launder their money and keep it in U.S. dollars, that's a huge positive the other thing is the casinos. We sort of talked about that as well. But Cambodia is surrounded by countries that don't allow casinos. Cambodia allows casinos. So with our land, we have to be so careful. Like, um, there's, like I'm going to make it sound like it's like truly the wild, wild west there, and it's, it's not. We just happen to attract some um, non-ethical people, unethical people. But what we, we were approached by, uh, I would, I'm just going to say they're like Chinese gangsters, and they, they say, hey, look, you got land we want you to build a casino, and it's. They told us they actually because I was curious, so they, they gave us a list of how easy it is to get a casino in Cambodia. So the, the rule was you pay like two hundred grand US and you get a casino license in from Cambodia that lasts like ninety nine years, and the the gangsters basically told us. Um, we'll, we'll set you up. We'll pay for the casino license. We'll build the building. We'll just give us a back room and we'll launder. they didn't say that they'll run the casino yeah. and, um, and they'll, they'll pay us rent every month. And the the rent was very good rent. So again, I have absolutely no interest in dealing with gangsters or, or corruption or anything like that. So we, we politely said no. And, um, it might've been the, the downfall to that actual investment because, I don't know, coincidence or not, I have no proof, but all of a sudden, like two months later, that's when someone laid claim to our land. Interesting. So, so we have a feeling, our suspicion, yeah. that because we didn't play ball, all of a sudden they found somebody who did play ball, and these are connected people, I'm guessing politically, and they got a lot of money, and all of a sudden they, they found somebody who laid claim, and then all, well, you know what happened after that. Yeah. So there there's a lot of money laundering, I would say. You know, yeah. I, I There's a lot of money coming in there. I'm just like anything else. I suspect a lot of it's to do with laundering as well.
1: Right. What's your take on the money laundering situation? I mean, in in Vancouver, have you been following that very closely? Yeah,
3: yeah, I've been following it. I'm going to be talking about it on CBC on um, tomorrow.
1: Oh, hey, we'll, be, we'll beat them to the punch. That's what we do at the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. <laughs>
3: well, actually, the CBC's live though. <laughs> we could never do live. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, edit that, Chris. Yeah. Um. One. The show that I'm doing tomorrow on CBC is basically from a buyer's perspective, and how a buyer should be negotiating in this in this time frame where they're going. So my my feeling in terms of Vancouver real estate right now for buyers, I think it's a good time to be buying, to be considering buying, and uh, I got my reasons. And the thing is, you need a really good realtor, and what I mean by a really good realtor. Is I know there's a lot of them out there, but the ones that I look for are the analytical ones. So you two qualities I would say: so analytical ones and the ones with great pers- person skills, people skills. So by analytical, I mean I like to see spreadsheets and I like to see proof, f- justification for their low ball offer. Because anybody who's buying right now should be doing some pretty low ball offers, but. From what I've been hearing is like people go in and here's the price and they do a low ball offer and they like take it or leave it. I think that's not the right attitude. If I had a realtor myself, the ones that I would use, I'd be like, OK, you're asking for $550,000 while well, I'm offering 400000 And here's the reasons why. And I would have a big spreadsheet and I'd discount everything. I was like, well, we just learned that money laundering bumped up. Uh, the real estate prices by five percent last year, and last year wasn't even a good year. Like during the peak time, it was probably more. Okay, I'm going to discount that off the price, and I would discount that. Okay, we're hearing that you know we're we got super slow sales growth, and you know it's, it's like depression, recession type sales numbers. I would discount that, and I'd basically come up with all these different things. Like I had a I had a client who was asking for advice and she's saying that her her sister is telling her not to buy an apartment because across the street relatively close is going to be a massive development and there's going to be noise and everything and i just asked her is do you want that apartment that you're looking at she's like yeah i still want it would you want it in like five years when that construction's done she's like yeah five years not that big of a deal i was like perfect discount that you know there there's a massive project going up In her mind, she said it was going to take 10 years to complete. Well, that's 10 years of noise pollution, 10 years of everything. I'm going to discount the price. And all of a sudden, you come down to uh, a, a model, the intrinsic value, I guess you would say, and say, okay, that's the price, and it just happens to be X amount of dollars. So when when that realtor, that buyer's realtor goes in with that low ball price, they're not just going in with a price, they're actually going in with a thought out price, here's the numbers, here's the stories, you show that to your the seller, and probably the seller just the way the environment now is greed and fear, which one are we in right now, it's fear for the sellers, they're, they're fearful that prices are going to keep going down. And then the buyer is basically what they're essentially saying is I'm not paying today's price. We all know prices are going down. We all know this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. The real price is this price. And that's what I'm offering. So a lot of people will say, okay, that's too low and go away. But there's a lot of people that was like, oh, okay, maybe he's right. And they might take it. So the money laundering thing, I think it's just, it's a plus. Like essentially you want blood on the street, you want panic, you want fear from a buyer's perspective. And that's just one extra thing, one extra tool that they could use to, to negotiate better. So I personally, I believe that real estate will rebound, like the cost of replacement cost is like huge. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's uh, supply issues that are not here, but they're going to come above in, in like two years. So, as a buyer, over the next year or so, if you can negotiate some really good prices, I think the money laundering thing's a bit of a blessing in disguise. It just allows you to stroke that fear factor. Um, I feel a little bit different for um, revenue properties, just because the environmental, uh, the environment for being landlords right now is is tough. I mean, I, I hear stories from people, small little mom and pop developers, small little mom and pop uh, landlords, and what they have to go through to make things work. It's really, really tough. So I'm more positive for people who are looking to buy for their own home right now. And I'm I'm more of a wait and see for the revenue properties.
1: Can you talk a little bit about what you're hearing from the revenue property perspective?
3: So I I got a friend who has a fourplex. He, he's, he's going to be renovating it. He's going to increase this, the square footage he went to the city and the city basically said, okay, we'll let you do this. But since it's rental right now, you have to basically agree that I think it was 99 years or something or the life that it will always remain rental. So he has this threeplex, which he lives in one and he has these three rental ones. And essentially, if he if he upgrades it, he has that three units always has to be rental for like 99 years. So if, if his kids grew up and wanted to move back home, they couldn't do that. And he thought that's that's ridiculous. Or anybody else who wants to do that. If you buy a revenue property, and you plan to move family in, there there'll be like some roadblocks there. Um, I've I've heard of people who've left. So they were they were asked to leave. Good good tenants, really good landlords, uh, but the tenant would leave and then. Uh, People would hear about it. And then there'd be all these people approach them saying, oh, if you do say this and say this and say this, you can extract X amount of money from your landlord because they have to do this right now. So this happened to another friend of mine. Luckily, my friend was a really good landlord and the tenant was a good person. And the tenant was like, no, this guy treated me right. I'm I'm not going to try to extort him. But essentially, that's it. So but hear this, stories. Is, this
1: is just so I understand in that, in that situation, they... They were parting ways due to a renovation or... It was
3: sort of a... It was a forced renovation by the city. So when when the person signed on, like rented it, they knew that going in. And they paid well below market rate. They were paying $700 for a a nice two-bedroom place, like newly renovated, like ridiculously cheap. And part of the deal was... You know, you could be kicked out at some point yeah. because we we might have to renovate this because right. we have these issues with the city. So the issues with the city came out, um, and then they the, the person was asked to leave so the work could be done. They, right. they they could come back if they want though.
1: Right. So yeah, it sounds like basically, if I understand correctly, we're talking kind of about uh, the the regulation around the Residential Tenancy Act and the kind of the increased. It seems like the increased. Regulation, but also compliance, maybe.
3: Or well, something there's like a lot that. of variables going on. So they got that new that new board, that new group who's going to be looking at this sort of thing that just came out. You have the you know the two mm-hmm. percent increase that's capped. Um, I, I've heard more and more stories of people because of rent evictions going to court, and they basically go to the court and say, "Hey, look, this is Mr. Landlord's life for the next year. We're going to do this, which will delay it to here, which will delay another couple months, which can delay another couple months." which can do delay another couple months, or you could just pay us right now. So we're, we're seeing a lot of that sort of thing and that type of education and that kind of pushes being out there. Yeah. For for I'm perfectly fine if they're bad landlords, but this is happening to sort of good sure. landlords. So there's a lot of uncertainty right now. So if you're like a brand new, you're thinking about being a landlord and stuff like that, I'd be kind of cautious right now. I, I'd like to see how it plays out. I'd like to see how this new board, this new group uh, works out. I, I sort of want to see how things go for right. the next couple of
1: Especially years. Especially if you're in, in looking at properties that potentially you're, need a renovation or or you yeah. want to do upgrades in the next couple of years.
3: Yeah. Right.
2: So so if I understand, Mark, then your advice right now in today's current market, it's, it's if you're an end user, you should be going out and basically lowballing um, using an agent who can actually justify where you're coming from, your position, mm-hmm. and use actually data as to what, how much the percentage is that you're taking off for each, whatever yep. your argument is. But having an argument in place, and then for in terms of um, investors, you're you're basically advising kind of push pause right now.
3: Well, I just I am. You like, are. I, okay. I I have no interest in being a, a landlord beyond what I have. the The other side is. Um, you got to be really, really careful on your tenants. So you got to do a ton of due diligence on your tenants and, you know, don't, you know, call everybody. Don't accept their numbers. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do. You you got that neighborly thing on. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, it's, it's, it's a partnership, right? You know, you're helping them out. And the unfortunate thing is it's going to push a lot of people to press pause. And there's going to be a lot less landlords out there because of these things. And what tenants really want is a ton of landlords because that's competition, right? That's what drives things down. But sure. if things get too strict, too or- onus on the landlords, then you're going to end up with like really bad landlords. Sure. So that's that's the unfortunate part of this, but that's the unintended consequences.
1: That, that's a really interesting take. Uh, I feel like we kind of veered into Vancouver when I, I at least wasn't quite done with Cambodia. Oh, uh, I was just wanting. Uh, I had kind of one more question sure. for you. Um, it sounds like you're basically this is now. You've written this off. Um, No. No? No,
3: because like I said, I think we're going to get about 85% of our money back. Okay. And one of my partners, they he went to Cambodia and he's fighting it and he really, he still wants to fight it. I just have no appetite to deal with, you know, corrupt politicians and and gangsters. And
1: so so, I would be a little bit leery to go to Cambodia to fight it because if they're throwing three-star generals in jail.
3: Oh, uh, (laughs) I, I totally recommend that he didn't. Yeah. But again, I put up a lot less money. Yeah. So, and he's Cambodian and he's, he's feel comfortable. But my advice to him was like, yeah. No, it's not yeah, worth it, miss. man. You got family. But so anyways, uh, he's, he, he's basically given up as well. Right. And he's hoping just to get the money back. And he's, he's looking at other properties. He did have some hard title properties in some really beautiful locations. And now his plan is to build um, like container type, really nice houses, very non-traditional houses. And some of his neighbors are the wealthiest people in Cambodia, like the, the son of the, the president and everything like that. So right. he's hoping he's going to build one and they're going to see it and they're going to want to build it. And that's, that's how he's right. hoping to do a business. So I told him, it's like, again, for me, it was house money. So I was like, if you can make a go and you come up with another proposition, like I, I could be interested in just rolling over my investment. But I told him, We're doing it my way. Like, we're doing the spreadsheets. We're doing the budget. (laughs) We're accounting. And I told him, he's like, that's what you want to do. Because you want to be seen as sort of a real legit person. Because people like to deal with real legit people. And if you go to a restaurant in Cambodia and ask for a receipt, like, everyone's going to, like... What? <laughs> what? What is that? <laughs> but they're going to ask about, it. and they're like, "Oh, I need this for my accounting," and then that'll make the other people think, "Oh, he's for real." Yeah. yeah. So I told him, "Do yourself a favor, man. Do the give the image as being completely professionally, completely legit. Do it properly. People will be willing to pay. They're willing to pay four hundred thousand dollars for a Range Rover. Like they're willing. They got the money. They're willing to pay if you do something legitimate." Right. So, so, so
1: I I feel like there's a couple takeaways here, but um. Two two questions. One is there. What what are your big takeaways from this experience? Uh, are there lessons that you learned from this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and would you do it again?
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, I probably would do it again. It's a great story, so I can tell that for the long well, time. And and, or... and
1: one takeaway that I'm seeing here is like like compare your situation to to your partners. Like if you're doing it with house money, it's a hell of a lot easier yeah. to just okay, give it. A, hey, it didn't work out. On to the next. Right. Whereas Your partner's, you know, he's into it for a lot more. It was potentially, you Mm -hmm. know, he's got to go and and fight the good fight here for who knows how long and to what end, right?
3: That's that's the main lesson. Yeah. Um, Am I disappointed that it didn't work out? Like this land, like my portion of it could have been worth millions. And I invested like less than 50,000 and, uh, and it, and it went away, but I never counted that money. Like I always knew, I always knew it's too good to be true. It's too going on, it's going up. So I never stressed about it, even when we started losing it and everything else. And I was like, perfectly happy to walk away. I don't want to deal with these people. It's life is too short but i was I was kind of happy that my friend went down there because he negotiated the other deal to get our money back, and th- because it meant more to him he did have a lot more at stake, so he was stressing yeah and he's he's there now and then now. I still see opportunity there. Like nothing changed in that area. Yes. Uh, a lot of it was because of, we'll say, money laundering and things like that. And I don't want to deal with that. But there's there's a lot of opportunities that we found legitimately, which I think will be legitimately. So I still think he has a pretty good chance of making it a go. So again, rolling the money over to him as long as he keeps me in touch. Uh, it gives me an excuse to go to Cambodia, check things out. I enjoy that. So, you know, I don't want to get
1: involved in this. I
3: I would be. It, 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 is, it is fun. It's not entre- yeah. if you're an entrepreneur, you like that's like the private placements that we deal with at work it's, that's some of the funnest stuff that we deal with. Uh, but it, it's just it's just a story. And if it works out, you know, hopefully there's a happy ending. And uh, I think there will be. Yeah. I think I think he'll do well. And uh, so I don't make a couple million dollars from 50 grand. But if I make you know double it yeah like who's going to complain about that
1: but if you're taking a a certain percentage from your stable kind of winnings yeah and you're doing this you know even if it works out a couple times in your life you're doing really well well
3: anytime you do venture like if you talk to anybody who does like real venture capital uh seed money and i got friends who do that and uh i ask him like okay you do 99 deals how many of them work out and he's like three. Yeah. So you're going to lose 97% of the time. Yeah. Um, this isn't that. This is We did a little bit more due diligence on it and everything else like that. So I think I, going into it, I thought I had a 50-50 chance. That's what I thought. And I flipped the coin and I don't think I've lost yet. I don't consider it a loss yet. I considered it quite an experience. Um, it showed me what I didn't want to do it, it proved that I wasn't super greedy, that I wasn't willing to like take over farms and do whatever it takes to make money. Yeah. So I'm glad or, I have, or, or
1: be in the, get in the casino, <laughs> or business. get in the casino business <laughs> yeah.
3: with the the wrong people. So I'm glad I have those characteristics. And that made me realize that because, you know, e- sometimes easy, money is, is, is something that some people gravitate to. And then it showed me that there's, there's also another way that we can still do it. So. The story's not over. We'll talk about it again in a year or so, and we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, looking forward to some updates on also the three-star general, <laughs>
3: what's happening oh, with he's, him. He's gone. And where are the goats? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. My, my daughter is so disappointed about the goats because she wanted to go I visit the goats. The goats. Yeah. yeah, We should do a goat
2: yoga retreat.
3: I got some pictures. <laughs> so, uh, we, we can see you. <laughs>
2: Uh, excellent, and um, I guess uh, we, we can't let you go without like a bit of a prediction on the Vancouver real estate market. We talked about it a little bit, but yeah. what do you think the next one, three, five years hold for the market?
3: Uh, a lot more positive on the th- five year. <laughs> yeah, like, right? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't see any indication that it's slowing. I mean, it, it does change. It's basically policy driven. So if the policies change, then we see that happen all the time, and we see that in the regular markets. Like we'll have uh, interest rate policy that's interest rates are going up and up and up and up, and all of a sudden. Is completely different now. They're going down, 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 and that completely changes the markets. I I think if it, if there is a policy change, it'll be probably minor or slow. So, as a buyer, again, over the next year or two, I think there's going to be some opportunities. You you just throw it's a numbers game. You, you do sort of the strategy. There's lots of strategies to buy, but the strategy that I use is the one I explained, and you just do it over and over and over again until you get somebody who who has to sell. And there's a lot of people who are I I see it pretty much desperate out there they got too many assignments they over leveraged um, and that's I guess that's another that's another rule like don't don't get too much in one asset class like diversification is key I know um, most of your listeners love real estate and probably almost all their assets are in, are in real estate but I've I've never done that myself I've always had my regular investments I invest in different things I love real estate you know that but uh, I, having everything in one area just doesn't make sense to me. So, buyer's market probably for another two years. I mean, these are predictions, but you know, don't count on them. But I, I do believe over the long term, real estate in Vancouver is still going to be high.
1: And 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 just thinking about that, because we asked this to uh, to guests last week, and I I think it's kind of an interesting um, question, especially because you've been in the market here for for a long time. Does this remind you of another period in in Vancouver's past, or are we in in new territory here uh
3: it just reminds me of a cycle yeah like uh, there's boom and bust cycles and i, I look at developments and about 2008 when we saw like those massive ads where they're cutting prices and 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 um and uh the big buildings were like 40 percent off whatever and then all of a sudden no one was building for a good chunk of time they got rid of that that supply got soaked up and all of a sudden there's there's nothing left and then things rebounded so the supply is still coming on for the next year or so, like various different places are still going on. You still see tons of assignment sales, but then all the big developers are gone, right? So what's going to happen after that, then, then you're going to have sort of the bottoming and then the cycle will go up again yeah. and then they'll come back. So that's, that's what I think. And I, prices of real estate are crazy high. Like I, I think about my first house that we built in 2011, and we were building houses in Steveston Village for a hundred dollars square foot. Now, same build right now for something decent. It's like three fifty. Three fifty and foot, yeah. probably five hundred for something good. So I mean that's 20, 2012 to twenty nineteen yeah, it and it's gone up like five times. It's it's really hard to replace this stuff. So I I don't see it crashing like a Phoenix or anything else when I was buying apartments for 50,000 and they're giving me $600 rent. And I, I just don't see that happening.
2: Where else are you investing? Like what, do you have any other cities or or outside of Cambodia?
3: (laughs) No, Uh, no. So that's the other thing. Like if I go high risk, I limit myself to a certain percentage because I was just in the Philippines and there's some opportunities there. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm not doing it. Like my, my allocation of high risk stays high risks. Uh, I I'm not really investing anywhere. I've, I've Whistler was my last property I bought. I bought it like two years ago, and it's done phenomenally well. It was just a townhouse. We bought it for four fifty, and I renovated it myself last year. And it's I see comparable ones going for eight hundred, and. So I'm pretty happy with that. I'm mostly investing my money in, in the market. One place, if I were to buy, though, one place I, I got to admit, it's kind of piqued my curiosity is Burkeville. So if you don't know where Burkeville is, it's right by the airport. Right. And I, was, I live in Richmond. I drive by in there all the time. I looked in there I was like, OK. So I dropped my mom off just recently. I went in there. I drove around and, and I went on the internet. And you could buy land, like a house, five-bedroom house for about $875,000, decent houses. Like I could see myself upgrading them. And so if I had the choice between an apartment, like a brand new condo apartment in Richmond or a house, which you can buy in Burkeville for like eight in the eight hundreds, I would sort of think, okay, I would do that. And one of the main reasons are like, I understand why they're cheaper because it's right by the airport. But if you've lived in those areas, it doesn't bother you. I live in Richmond right by the flight class and you just get used to it. The other, but the, the main thing is we always talk about corridors, like transit corridors. And any, anywhere around a SkyTrain station, you don't want to be too close because of all the crime and the bad stuff that comes with it. You want to be a little bit, little bit further out. But I Googled how far is it to walk to the Canada Line. And it's the Canada Line station that comes from the airport. And it was only 15 minutes. Hmm. So if you get a house with land, decent house, five bedrooms, 15 minutes from a SkyTrain station for 800-something, I was like, I like those numbers. Right. right. And it, even that SkyTrain station will never bring crime. Because that SkyTrain station is yeah. basically parking lots. It's for uh, it's for the the stores there. So again, you're not even getting a bad element of that SkyTrain station. So I do like SkyTrain transit. And Berkville was the one thing I'm not going to buy there. But if I were, I'd probably be doing some negotiations on that area. So it's a great little community. There's there's lots of things to do. It's close by. BCIT is right there. So you could you can think about homestays. You can think about Airbnb for people going to the airport. So yeah this one one thing that probably none of your other guests have talked about sound
2: advice mark tang the the hot tip from mark tang absolutely yeah and uh we we got to do the five wire if you got time for that can you stick around for that we got a new question okay yeah okay so question number one what is your current favorite neighborhood in vancouver has it changed (laughs) since last time mark burkeville
3: yeah in terms of living um i'm still partial in new west i think new west is a little bit underserved like the housing uptown uptown new west right i'm not a huge fan of the the big condos going up uh, on the water but uh, i it's a beautiful neighborhood very easy to walk and it's kind of like underserved like i felt it was sort of forgotten kind of like burkeville is because of the neighbors overshadow it right right so i still like that
1: favorite bar or restaurant
3: favorite bar or restaurant um Last time, I think I said O'Hare's, which is the Irish pub in Steveston. I'm going to go with a, like a really, really value-for-money restaurant this time somewhere, because I've been renovating my house f- for the last six months, and we had to eat out like every single day, basically. And one place we went to was L.A. Grill. So L.A. Grill in Richmond, uh, you, could buy, you can get a burger, like a good handmade burger, not frozen patty, with salad and potatoes, and it was like five fifty. So it's cheaper than McDonald's.
2: L A Grill. L A Grill. Is it yeah. a is it a
3: franchise? No, no. It, it's, it's, like a, it's a. As far as I know, it's just a standalone. And if you go later, 5.50, that's uh, five fifty. That's actually five fifty after eight o'clock. I think six fifty or something like. But they always, they always have really good deals. Like you can get a steak or salmon for like eight ninety nine or something like that. So you know, if you go out a lot and it's costing a lot, it's a great place.
1: Yeah, no that's, kidding. That might be the new Colony Tap Tuesday. <laughs>
2: They got they
3: got yeah they got beer specials too.
1: So I'm trying to remember what you said last time, Mark. But where's the second place you bring someone from out of town? Second place,
3: well done. Um, since we're talking about goats and fowl and jungles and <laughs> Cambodia, um, the airport. No, uh, <laughs> I would, you know, a really cool place that I brought play, uh, people is Riley. Riley Park, Bird yeah. Sanctuary is the thing in Delta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Like, and here, here's the local tip or the pro tip. Um, you can go, go to the dollar store before you go and buy like those big five kilo bags of birdseed. Because <laughs> you go there and you, they sell bird seed there yeah, for like yeah. 50 cents, which is fine. Buy that because yeah. you're supporting them. Yeah. But the birds get sick of that birdseed. So when you give them a new flavor, oh, yeah, it's like you got, sense. you're leading a parade. Like you start shoving off that yeah, new yeah. food and they all come to you and all the other people with their little, little small bags are looking at you with envy because you get all the birds. <laughs> <laughs> the kids, kids love it. Adults love it. It's a fun place. Nature's yeah. oh,
1: right on. Right on. That's, that's a good one. Uh, new question for you, Mark. What is the one piece of advice you would tell your 18 year old self today?
3: I guess I think the world's problem is debt. Like I think debt will take down the stock markets. Debt will take down governments. It's done it in the past. Debt might even take down Cersei from the Game of Thrones. Who knows? Or the Iron (laughs) Bank. Debt, that's that's an issue, right? So I've always been good with debt. And because I've been good with debt, I've had a lot of opportunities. So I, I paid down my first apartment pretty quick. I had a down payment. I stayed out of debt for school. So I didn't have student loans or anything. I worked my butt off for 4 months like at fish factories and electricians got as much money as I can so I'd stay out of debt. And because of that, you know it opens up and I see the opposite side. I see people just struggling with debt. So stay out of debt. I think you can have fun and not spend a ton of money. Like I always I go to places like the Philippines or Southeast Asia instead of Hawaii because you can
1: But you're you're the guy I think that introduced us to the YVR deals yeah. website. The, are you on it? I'm on it. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, just a Costa Rica flight, really cheap one that came came across my uh, my desk. Your desk.
3: <laughs> but those are those are good. That's yeah. what I mean. Like yeah, yeah. like I can go to, to Hawaii and spend four hundred dollars a night U S. Or I, I can get just a nice beach, with better things to do in say the Philippines or Thailand or something like More that for like fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's you just don't care about money at that point. Because you know it's in the budget. Whereas if I was in Hawaii, you're spending a ton of money. So stay out of debt. It's not worth it. Like it's fleeting. Like people buy really nice stuff, mostly when when they can't really afford it. And then, you know, they get joy out of it for like 15 minutes and then it's gone.
2: Yeah. No, that's that's, (laughs) uh, good, sound advice. The the time Uh, to
3: take on debt, though, because I've been known to take on a ton of debt to is if you get cash flowing properties or cash flowing investments right. where as long as it doesn't come out of your pocket, you know, I'd borrow as much as I can as long, you know, do yeah. your due diligence. Yeah, yeah, right.
2: yeah. Right. For sure. And the last question, what is something that you've purchased in the last uh, few months, maybe for under $500, it's had a big impact on your life.
3: I don't know. It's just little things that give you joy. I imagine. Um, we were talking earlier that I'm a skateboarder. I like skateboarding and I've, I've recently started collecting like sort of older nostalgic type skateboards and uh, i've got some connections where i i have access to professional skateboarders so i get them signed and things so little things you know it's the little things in life that make you happy uh it's nothing gadgets i just in my office i'm working every day and i got like six skateboards in my background and i you know i just turn around sometimes and stare at them and just think of old times and you know to me that's that probably cost me 500 bucks but it brings me an immense amount of joy was it
2: what was it a rob ross cop what was the what was the skateboard
3: uh, I got a couple of them. Uh, I got some old vintage Christian Azoy's, Lance Mountains, uh, Rob Deerdecks, uh, some sign Kevin Harris, local legend here. Um, yeah, a couple of them. Did Christian
2: Azoy go and become very religious?
3: Yeah, he did. He, he did. went to jail. He got. He was. He was a total. Christian Osoy, uh basically ruined his career because him and Tony Hawk were the, the epitome of skating. X Games came out, and Tony Hawk became Tony Hawk, multi-millionaire. Right. Christian Azoy was. He was on meth, oh, and he basically just crashed out. And he got caught going to Hawaii with a bunch of drugs. Got thrown in jail a bunch of times, and came out very religious. He's doing he's well back. now. He's he's, he's doing back. well now though. Yeah.
2: And is he skating still?
3: Yeah, he's still killing it. He's killing the game. Wow. So it's glad glad to see him. Yeah.
1: Hey, new Instagram. That's follow. Uh, better than a Fitbit. <laughs> 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 Fitbit. Well, Excellent. thanks thanks so much for your time, Mark. That yeah, was thank a you. great conversation. We'll have to come have you back on, and uh, yeah, and not only could... for Cambodia but but all things investment
2: related. And also, Mark, how can people find out more about uh, what you do at Foundation Wealth?
3: Yeah, Foundation Wealth has a, a website, so foundationwealth.ca. Uh, you can sign up. We got um, articles and things like that, often to do with CBC, but good good little tips that a lot of people seem to enjoy. Um, our our are, we're a little bit different than your average broker your average broker has their you know mutual funds and, and stocks and bonds but we tend to have those things as well as we do private placements we like real assets things like gold and, and uh, global real estate and uh, like buying into businesses so it's, it's a little bit of a different different flavor.
1: Excellent right on well thanks again for your time thank you So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Mark Ting, partner, a private wealth manager of Foundation Wealth, and uh, don't forget he's also on the CBC, the weekly financial columnist. I'm really enjoying you uh, holding that mic stand
2: like you're Bob Barker. You're, well, I, had
1: uh, to, I had to lean over. You know what? There's only one thing worse than uh, getting a name wrong. is uh, Losing get- on the showcase showdown. <laughs> Something, Something like that. Something not like getting
2: that. your pet spayed or neutered.
1: <laughs> uh, I actually just actually watched. Um, there, a there's like a pet spayed or neutered. I'm not sure. I get that's that, a remember.
2: Bob Barkerism. That's uh. Oh, is isn't? it? Yeah. Come on. Okay. Um, well. Yeah. Because you were saying. Well, no. I was saying. I was just watching a documentary on. On. Uh, <laughs> sounds like you know a lot more about Bob Barker than me. Well, no. What's the? Is it Wheel of Fortune? Is that uh, oh, on, no, the? No. No. That's not Price is not, Right. Price is Right. You just price is yourself. I just. I just uh, watched. I just watched a documentary on the Price is Right. A guy who studied and learned all the, uh, it's actually not a very good documentary to be honest, but uh, he studied and learned, he he realized that all the prices kept showing up over and over again over the years. Like they weren't changing the prices. And so he memorized all them and then he would be shouting from the audience, and then he got. Picked. It's actually it's a pretty interesting uh, documentary. Where did but, you see this documentary? Uh, Netflix. Uh, I <laughs> dreamt it. <laughs> I'm not sure. But uh, what a what a crazy tale from uh, Mark Ting. Yeah, no
1: kidding, no kidding. Uh, so I guess everywhere has uh, its own hosts of problems. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> wow. All right. We're going out on
2: that. <laughs> what else do we got? Yeah. What else do we got? We got a uh, VancouverRealEstatePodcast
1: Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That's where we got an updated news feed. We got every single podcast we've ever produced. Yes. We got the Live Wire. That's our weekly email list with stats, tips and tricks, deal of the month, sometimes deal of the week. There's a lot of it's, deals out there right it's, now. It's so pretty amazing. We're getting more and more deals all the time. We also got private client services. Yep.
2: And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. It's basically realtor level information. So come on down. <laughs> wait, is that a that's, that's,
1: that's Kern Hill Furniture Co-op <laughs>
2: from Winnipeg? Manitoba. Hang on, hang on, hang on a second. <laughs> hang on, then don't come on down. Uh
1: wait, what was, what the was it? You- what was it? Oh, maybe it was. Was it come on down? <laughs>
2: It well, was nobody. He yeah. went
1: like, "But come on down!"
2: Oh yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was just yeah. intonation, intonation. Inton- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but on a side note, Matt, really, there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be on either our email list for the Five Wire or on PCS because seriously, they're the best resources out there, and they're absolutely free.
1: That that's it. They're absolutely free. They're great to monitor the market whether you're looking to buy or sell. Just get in touch either way, and they can get in touch with me at any time, seven seven eight, eight four seven, two eight five four, or Matt at Vancouver dot com. Or you can try me at
2: seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four or Adam at Vancouver dot com.
1: We also got that nonpartisan line, the Secret Scalina line. Info at Vancouver
2: Real dot com. And I think Secret is uh he's out, out he's shopping his, for a... Uh, uh,
1: Ascot or something, I think. He's he's really yeah. on these three
2: piece suits now. No kidding. <laughs> he's only drinking Perrier at the office. Yeah. I mean Robert McDonald really had an impact. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good week, guys. <laughs> Take care.
3: Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.
1: new resources, head over to Oakwin.com slash join, type in VRP2020. That's Oakwin.com slash join, type in VRP2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the bigwigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP2020.